What's up, guys? Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, where we talk about sports, kicking, college, coaching, and more. Today's guest is Simon Matheson, the head of Trackman Football's division. We're going to talk about how he was able to repurpose Trackman's golf and baseball technology to impact the kicking game and not only the NFL, but also college and now high school games. If you like the show, please be sure to add us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you really like us, please leave a five-star review. It's like rocket fuel to the podcast. Thanks so much. So uh, TrackMan has been around in the golf and baseball business for many years. Uh, started out, the technology is actually derived from military tracking uh, when they track missiles. And, um, you know, TrackMan is a Danish company, and I grew up two minutes from the headquarters. I, uh, when I graduated college in 2017, 2016 was my last, uh, my last year playing at Northwest Missouri State. Um, I thought the kicking game could use some objectivity and evaluation, and then also just, you know, have more tools for player development, you know, taking the fact that I think kickers are highly undervalued in the terms of importance for winning games. And um, I called up TrackMan. And I said, hey, why don't we guys, why don't we do something in football? And they're like, hmm, that could potentially be interesting. And uh, then I kind of did some studies and kind of what I thought would be valuable. And one of the things I pitched to TrackMan was to use it in broadcast. Uh, and they had a connection with NBC. And that's how we started tracking Sunday Night Football in 2018. And, and here we are from there. So we'll come back to like the, the TrackMan nitty gritty, but but you have an interesting story yourself because you're not, I mean, yeah, you work for TrackMan and people know you as the TrackMan guy, but you're you're also a, a current active NFL free agent kicker, but you weren't always a kicker. Um, and, and when I, I always think it's interesting, especially coming from an international background, um, kicking tends to find you more than you know, you finding it like I, I've almost never met an NFL kicker who like knew when they were little, they wanted to kick. It was always something that just kind of happened. Um, so so one, tell us what American football is like in in Europe, or particularly Denmark. Uh, and then two, how did how did kicking find you and how did you go from Denmark to northwest Missouri State? Well, kicking certainly found me because uh, I was a receiver when I first got to uh, Northwest Missouri state, you're, you're tall, right? How, how tall are you? Six, four. I'll six, four. You're not going to round up. Nah, I don't think nah, six, three, seven, eight. I think is what they had. me. <laughs> oh, so you're actually six, three, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I was a receiver when I got to Northwest Missouri and I did not think about kicking at all. I took a few reps after practice occasionally here and there um but um yeah it was my freshman year I wasn't getting much playing time uh receiver and uh, it was week nine about 10 minutes before kickoffs our head coach comes to me and he said uh, hey Simon our other kicker Ben he's hurt he blew his back on warm-ups you're kicking for us today and I was like all right that's <laughs> fine with me I could not care less about kicking at that point there's no point in me that I want to be a kicker whatsoever but I kind of think like that helped me because I didn't really feel the pressure because I didn't really care. And um, yeah. then I went uh, 10 for 10 that year on field goals my freshman year. We won the D2 championship. Um, it was back in 2013. And I remember when we had our spring meetings, 
uh, I had the discussion with him. I said, I don't want to play kick. I want to play receiver again. And then my head coach said, Simon, you can either be the fifth string receiver or starting kicker on scholarship. What do you want to do? <laughs> and then when you put it that way, I was like, okay, I guess I'm a kicker full time now. So that's, that's, that's kind of how kicking found me. Um, so yeah, it was definitely not my own interest to be a kicker. Um, but I, I grew up playing soccer. So I had that background there. And I guess I was just better at football with my feet than I was with my hands. What, what's, what's the American football scene like in, in Denmark? Did you play prior to going to Northwest Missouri State? Yeah, so there's football in Denmark. It's certainly not to the same level as it is in America, obviously. Um, we have, I started playing when I was about 15 years old. Um, and everything in, in Denmark and in Europe in general is club-based. So you don't play for your school. Right. So I played at the, at the local club closest to me called uh, the Sullivan Gold Diggers. Okay. So uh, I, had a, I had a few years on the Gold Diggers as a receiver. And um, I think I was probably one of the best receivers in, in my class back in, back in Denmark. Not that it was saying that much compared to American standards. But I feel like I was still good enough to play, uh, play in the U.S. And uh, so I just kind of sent out all my highlights tapes to about – I think 75 schools. I heard back mm -hmm. from two. And Northwest <laughs> was one of them. Yeah. And uh, they allowed me to walk on to, to, to Northwest. And then that's kind of where it started from there. But, but yeah, I mean, the difference between football in, in Europe and the U.S. is massive. I think the sport is growing in Denmark uh, quite a bit. And I think guys are getting better and better. And I do think we have this one offensive lineman that plays for Cleveland. I believe, Yalde Froholt is his name, mm -hmm. Yalde Froholt, if you say in Danish. Um, so there's some good guys kind of, you know, getting up on the American stage, but, but to be frank, the level is right. not, not great compared to over here. I mean, not even remotely close, but, but you have good guys and come over here and compete. And, and I guess I was one of them, at least to play kicker. What, um, what is the difference between Danish or European sports culture and American sports culture. And the reason why I ask that is I've had, had a couple of international guys flip from playing rugby. Um, they're rugby U S college rugby players, but they're from like the UK yeah. or um, there's a kid, Evan Williams. He's over at um, gosh, forget the school. He's kicking D two now, but he played rugby from Wales and then tied leader, from Ireland, he, he played pro rugby yeah. and then he switched to the CFL uh, for a little bit. And it was interesting. It's always interesting talking or hearing about their adjustments are actually tougher, like sports culture wise, mm -hmm. than switching the actual sport from like rugby to, to football. What, what are yeah. some of the differences? Or do you even notice the difference in, in the approaches? Uh, I, I think to me, it wasn't a culture shock in that regards. I think. I think the difference is that in American sports, I mean, the, the attention to detail and the physical preparation in the weight room and the film study is completely different than, than what you'd ever see in Europe. Um, you know, I grew up playing soccer and granted I was, you know, younger at that point. There's, I mean, there's no soccer teams that watch nearly as much football as American football teams. Uh, yep. or watch as much video and uh, it's not even remotely close and I also think that you know there's just such a much more there's a much 
bigger level of commitment to even just playing in high school and college than there is playing in Europe at 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 a somewhat pro level. You know, because you have you know not I'm not talking about the pro leagues, but like the semi pro, like when you kind of like young kind of trying to get to that stage. I do think the commitment is is even higher in the U.S. when it comes when, in terms of like just the preparation in the weight room, the amount of time you spend on watching film. Um, so I do think that aspect is different. I think maybe the other aspect is that I think from a coaching perspective, coaches in the U.S. I think are kind of like giving you life lessons to some extent. I feel like they, they try to. <laughs> they try to at least. I feel yeah. like a lot of the things that, at least what I was taught at Northwest Missouri, I think a lot of those things like I learned I could kind of apply to my, you know, life at home or my life at work mm-hmm. with TrackMan or whatever it is. Whereas I feel like in soccer, um, I don't really feel like I had many life lessons there that would apply the same way as football has kind of taught me uh, in general mm-hmm. life. Uh, so I do think that's one of the big differences that kind of I've learned is that I feel like football kind of shapes you a little more as a man to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I do. Yeah. It, yeah, there's, um, there's like a real, not maybe not, I mean, actually, yeah, for kickers and specialists too, there's almost no other sport where like your teammates could get seriously physically injured if you don't do your job. So yeah. there, people definitely have more skin in the game. Um, I, I think the, I've heard just from talking to other international players, it's, the coaching styles can be more dictatorial in the U S it's a little bit more mm. hierarchical. I'm the boss you listen versus like mm. in soccer, you're, you know, in Europe or, you know, it, it's a little bit more like managerial, you know, it's a little bit more like equal back and forth. Um, oh, for sure. I think, I think if, if coaches in America try to talk to the same way to European soccer players as they do to football players here, I think they would lose the team. In many instances, I do. I don't, you know, you, yeah. I don't think, yeah, the way there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a, a cultural difference there for sure in like the way that, you know, football is, is taught by coaches. And I, I like the American style. I do. Mm-hmm. I kind of like being really held accountable. And like, I feel like it was one of the things we learned in college. They always said, don't be worried if we yell at you, be worried if we don't yell at you, because that means we've given up on you. <laughs> And I actually yeah. thought it was a good, it was, a, it was like a good kind of way to look at it. Um, so I do think, I do think you're right. In in soccer, there's not the same like hard kind of style of coaching. I mean, I'm sure some coaches are like that in Europe still, but I right. think in general, Ameri- American coaches are more likely to kind of have like a, a harder, tough love mentality to their coaching style. That's, that's for yeah. sure my experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, it's always it's always fascinating to just kind of like look at the the cultural differences. I mean, where I hang out a lot in New England, the Northeast, there's a lot of prep schools, and they have these really good pipelines of American football talent coming in from European club leagues. Yeah. You know, your your buddies, the Scandinavian countries. You know, they're they're sending. I mean, I think there was some kid. He's going to Alabama next year. He's six nine, three hundred pounder who was playing at a prep school out in Connecticut. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's every team has like one mutant European player on it now. Mm. Um, It's actually, it's, it's fascinating because the NFL has this thing called the international player pathway and they didn't used to open it up to kickers. 
Yeah, and, and they've been really like putting a lot of money into it and expanding the game internationally. Um, and they just opened it up to to specialists and kickers now, um, which which is kind of funny. But it's actually, I think most European and international athletes don't know. They, they like see NFL and they're like, yeah, that's untouchable. But it's actually, it's, it's quite accessible to talk to these guys. I mean, it's tough to get an invite to work out for them, but you know, they're always looking at talent. I think the NFL is actually doing some combine in Nairobi in Kenya for oh, the next really? couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. Um, I bet they can find some good talent down there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shoot, there's 8 billion people in the world. I mean, there, yeah. there's great athletes everywhere. I think the hard, the harder part is going to be like, can you develop them and, you know, draw them over from their current sport. Um you're, uh, I mean, I know we want to talk about track and stuff, but I think what's mm. more, more interesting, I mean, just as interesting is like mm. you, you basically like start, I mean, they call it like being an intrapreneur or like mm-hmm. you kind of started like your own company within TrackMan. Yeah. Um, what, what was that like? The, the process of, you know, you had that, that aha moment, you called up TrackMan. Um, I think there's some really valuable lessons that, you know, listeners and kids could, could pick up from that story because a lot of recruiting, a lot of sports, actually most of life comes down to like how good of a communicator are you, how persuasive can you be while being respectful? Um, and you, you built it. I mean, yes, TrackMan was a company already in existence, but you found a way to repackage it for a whole new market. Um what was that process like of, of building TrackMan football within a company that was mostly sold on golf and baseball until you came along? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a great question, actually. So I think, I think what maybe I had success with in terms of persuading them to go into, you know, a different sports is I think, you know, TrackMan is always kind of, you know, golf is like 90% of our business. You know, that's, yeah. you know, that's, the, it's an the awesome, it's an awesome market. It's an amazing yeah, market. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it's a massive consumer market too, but I do think, um, you know, we have some really, you know, intelligent top management people in TrackMan. And I think they recognize that, you know, the, the more top sports you can really put yourself in, you know, the, the better for the company. And, you know, so, so when we first started, was actually mostly focused on the broadcast aspect um you know doing the Sunday night football and all that stuff was um, that intentional I, or was that the opportunity that it, was it was it was, most it was available? Well, well it was it was two it was twofold and so you know the the first essentially how it's you know so the first meeting we had was in August of 2017 and um you know at that point there was probably like nine ten months in between kind of where, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, would it work, you know, can, can we do the tracking? And uh, then I think it was in June of 18 trackman called me and said, Hey, Simon, uh, you know, that idea you pitched to us about the, the, the good from and all that, you know, NBC, they really like it. You know, we, we talked to them, they want to, they want to start implementing trackman and Sunday night football. And at that point, we didn't really know if we could do it. To be frank, <laughs> uh, so you know, the, I remember traffic. They called me like, "Hey, you know, you're on board." I was like, I, "I'm on board." And at that point, in between, I actually I worked at a bank in Kansas City, um, and uh, you know, I I quit that job and you know I started on TrackMan, 
And, you know, luckily we were able to track the games in, in Sunday Night Football. And, uh, you know, it, it's been great uh, broadcast for us. Um, but I think, you know, the, 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 the part of kind of like starting up the business kind of really started the following year when we kind of had to develop the actual product. Um, so I think, you know, the whole product development part, that probably took about two full years. Uh, we kind of just really trying to dig into like, you know, what features do we need in the product? Um, what would be valuable? What would not be valuable? How do we make it the most mobile? How do we make it the most easiest for coaches and players to use? And there's so many different things that goes into that. So I think there's, you know, for a lot of time, you know, most of my job at that point was literally just to go out and kick with that base model I had you know, kind of thing out, you know, what would make the most sense for me and then just talk to our engineers about developing, you know, the new features and stuff. So I think, you know, to begin with, it was just mostly about identifying, you know, product needs. And then, you know, you know, at that point, you know, we, we talked to, you know, you know, still quite a few teams and stuff kind of got input. Um, but, but at the same time, it's just more about me trying to shape a product and, and really kind of put it into a pipeline of where we thought, it could be, you know, valuable for teams and coaches to use. What was it? I mean, NFL coaches, I mean, we already just talked about this, like football coaches are notoriously gruff and rigid and the market you were going after NFL college, um, they are, these coaches are notoriously conservative. And what I mean by that is like, they're, they don't want to rock the boat and, and change anything unless it's 100% proven um, in, in like the startup world, there's like an adoption curve, right? Like there's mm -hmm. always going to be people that camp out side the iPhone store for the newest model, even if it's no different mm -hmm. from the last and they're just mm -hmm. like tech geeks and there's early adopters. Um, and then once you've got a couple people on board early, everybody else kind of follows. How mm -hmm. did you find your, your early adopters for TrackMan? What was that process? Like who were, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, I think, you know, just people who are forward thinking um, mm -hmm. and who kind of knows, like, you know, you know, the, you also heard the term is like, um, you know, you might be on top of if you stand still and don't grow, you're going to, you're going to eventually you're going to die. And right. I think, you know, you know, you know, the smartest people, the most successful people are people who are constantly trying to evolve and get better um, and who are not happy with the status quo. Um, so I think, you know, the, some of the early adopters of TrackMan is just guys, you know, who are forward thinking, um, guys who, and probably just guys that really understand the importance of special teams. Um, I remember when I first started meeting with teams, I didn't really think that I had to talk about the importance of special teams because I mm -hmm. thought it was, obviously they know that. And I think a lot of people do know that, but when, when it kind of came to, you know, you know, the little like, you know, for, you know, I feel like most special teams coaches, they all understand that obviously it's their job. They get it. You know, most kicking coaches, they get it. But sometimes when it came to like, you know, talking to like, you know, some of the higher up people like in the chains, like, you know, um, management positions and stuff, it was like, wow, I really, really have to put an emphasis on like and quantify how much the kickers add to the probability of wins in the season. And I thought everyone knew that already. I was like, well, obviously mm -hmm. they knew that. I don't think to that point, that maybe surprised me a little bit. I was like, well, oh, kicking, I knew, you know, King was, you know, undervalued to some extent. And I do think, you know, the, the, some of the best teams, you know, really place emphasis on it. But I, I think to some 
part of me was a little surprised that how do these teams not have exact models that tells exactly, you know, how much does your win probability go up if your kicker goes from like 85% to 90% field goal percentage? Some they might do, I and mean, they may not just share it with me, but it's definitely my understanding that like we really kind of had to place an emphasis on really talking about, hey, this is how important these these kickers can be for the teams. Yeah, it's it's funny, like kicking is so subjective i i think it's never not been subjective because well i'll ask you i mean why do you think why do you think that is why did why do you think you had to resell these coaches on on special teams i, I will i said let me just make it clear. i don't think i think special teams coaches understand it i think yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. more you know maybe mm-hmm. um you know, top management to kind of say, why do we right. need to, you know, invest more in our kickers? Because, you know, so many teams, they're like, well, we can take the cheaper option at kicker. We'll rather do that than, you yeah. know, paying a, paying a, you know, a veteran guy or something like that. I think All it's right. just like, if you, if you, if you really look at the statistics and look at the difference, a 80% kicker can have in your season versus a 90% kicker. I mean, it can, it can impact, you know, multiple games. And, sure. you know, I think, that aspect of us, like, you know, why do, why do so many teams just, why does it, why do kickers so underappreciated? It's a good question. I think a lot <laughs> of it's probably just because, you know, most guys that run teams were never kickers. And, you know, a lot of guys always kind of look at kickers as an afterthought. I do think, however, that most teams are starting to be much more in depth with kind of understanding how important the special teams aspect is. Um, right. I mean, a, a good a good example is, and it doesn't include last year, but from I think it was like from 2010 to 2020, the average field goal percentage in the NFL was like 84.5% or 85%. The field goal percentage for Super Bowl winners were over 90%. Um, so, you know, I yeah. think, you know, the more teams that kind of really, you know, play some stuff, oh, hey, this is important to us. And, you know, you also see guys more, you know, you know, kickers are getting drafted and they're, you know, they're stock, you know, invest in these guys. And I think that's good for the game. I do think that's great for the kickers in general. Um, and, and like, to my point, I do think more and more teams are really kind of starting opening up. Hey, this is important. I do also think it has something to do with the, uh, you know, more teams embodying analytics to kind of see, you know, how does that aspect, and and I'll be the first to say, I don't think analytics should trump like your your gut feeling, but I do think if it can help you have more information, I think you can make better decisions as a as a leader of a team for sure. What why do you think kicking is so? Um, I guess I should have just rephrase the question. Well, why why do you think kicking is so or, or has been so subjective for so long? I, I think it's just been because maybe for for top level, it, it might have been hard to like, you know, identify or really scout good kicking. I mean, to some extent, you can argue, well, we should just take the guy that has the highest field goal percentage. Well, does have a high field goal percentage in college always correlate to, to being a great NFL kicker? Not always. I mean, some of the best kickers in NFL today did not have great field goal percentage in college. Um, so I think maybe it's just been like, you know, it's just tough for for teams to kind of truly, you know, scout these guys. 
And, you know, that's why, you know, they might have said, hey, special teams coach, you're responsible for this, whatever you think, you know, that's that's probably what we're going to roll with. But I do think that the more information you can have, the more like basically you want to go from, you know, from guessing or just from intuition to kind of like evidence-based decisions, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. that's why, like, if, let's say when you're in a draft room as a GM, you know, there's a reason why you have the NFL combine because you want as much information as you can have on the prospects that you're potentially drafting. And mm-hmm. I think that should be the same for kickers is that you want to know exactly, okay, who got the strongest leg, who's the most consistent, you know, who has the best uh, tra- ball trajectory, who has the low trajectory, who's the high, you know, everything you can know about these guys should help you make the best decision. And, you know, obviously at the end of the day, there's more things to go into that. You want to see how guys, you know, mentally, obviously that plays a big part, but having tangibles, I think will help make decisions easier for teams. Mm. What was there? Um, was there a particular um, maybe NFL special teams coach who jumped on TrackMan first and like, and he kind of like kickstarted things for you? Or are there are there kind of like key people that like played a larger role in setting TrackMan up with you? I, I, I would say like I think we got. Mm we got input from different people, but I think a lot of this stuff, it was just kind of through, you know, our own testing and kind of like, this is kind of what makes the most sense. Um, You know, it's always good to talk to people um, and get input. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, what is doable? What can engineers come up with? And, you know, what, what makes the most sense? Because, you know, to take an idea and put into actual product is a lot harder than what most people think. Um, so, so I think, you know, we, we took inputs, but also it was like, Hey, this is kind of what we've done in golf and what has worked extremely well in golf. And obviously football is different. Practices are different. So there's things you kind of have to take into consideration there. Um, but you know, I would put it this way, you know, we, you listen to, you listen to outside, you kind of take advice, um, but at the same time, you also got to say, hey, we have, you know, a product line in other sports we've been really, really good with. So we're going to try to, you know, take football and kind of integrate it with that um, and then, you know, kind of build off of that. And I do think it's good. I do think also once we keep growing, you know, because now we have a good good set of product in place. And now, you know, from all our customers and, you know, yourself included, you know, I listen, hey, this is kind of what we'd like to hear or would like to have and then you know i put it in a pipeline and then tell you know our product managers at home hey this is this is kind of like the feedback we've gotten this is where we need to improve or this is what we need to do differently um Mm -hmm. but i think you know you know some just some of the teams you know that jumped on early you know those those coaches played you know a part um you know actually one of the first coaches that really got into track man was jerry rosberg uh you know from baltimore um Mm And and Jerry, he 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 he's been helping me on a consultant basis sometimes. So he's kind of he's been playing a part. Uh, you know, is he, he still he in the up, NFL or no? Uh, I don't know. I think you have to ask him. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Know, he was a, he was the interim head coach for a little bit, and um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I saw him at the combine, and when we chatted, he's he's a he's an awesome guy, and I really like Jerry. Uh, so um, I'm not too sure if he's going to keep you know coaching or maybe take a senior advisor role, but you know he. You know, he, he's, he's a great guy, and, and he was on the road with me last year doing demos and stuff. So, um, so yeah, he, nice. he's certainly a guy that, you know, one of the guys – I think, you know, for – you know, you kind of look at the, the coaches all around, and, you know, we have 
you know, younger coaches that love TrackMan. We have guys that have been coaching for many years that love TrackMan. So I don't think it's like that you see like one trend. It's like, oh, it's, this is the, you know, demographic or kind of coach you're looking for. You really kind of have everything in, in, in between. Gotcha. What, what, um, I mean, just for, you know, when I use, when I use TrackMan, I'm always, I'm always interested in trying to figure out how maybe different sports have successfully implemented your tech. Like I know you guys are in golf baseball um soccer now yeah how what are some of the best uh practices with with how is there a difference between how like a pga pro is going to implement trackman versus how a a pitcher might uh you know yeah that's a good question i think you know everyone is a little different kind of how they go about their practice um you know Mm -hmm. some guys are more hands-on versus hands-off in terms of how much they want to look at their stuff. Um, I do think, however, that across football, soccer, golf, and baseball, you know, you know, as a player, you want to be able to at least just confirm what it is you're doing, you know, knowing what you're doing, I mean, should not hurt you. And, -hmm. you know, the more information you have, you know, the more, um, I feel like just, yeah, the more information you have about yourself, the more you know and the better you can become. Um, and I think it's just, I think in, in golf, for example, guys use it a lot to, you know, what is my exact distance on the driving range? So you know what they can expect before going out to a round. I think baseball is a little more about identifying trends. Okay, um, curveballs. Okay, when you generate more spin, you're more likely to generate ground outs, for example. So, you know, that way they teach, you try to teach the pitchers to generate more spin so they get more break in the ball. Um, That's how they use it in that. I think kicking is a little more about kind of a little combination of both the golf and baseball, because I do think that it's a good way to kind of test your, you know, what club, I think you've used this term, like what club do you have that day? Like what's your swing that day? Um, and, you know, just know, okay, you know, this is my, this is my speed. This is my good from, this is how exactly I know far I can go back. Uh, But also do think it's about identifying trends within the data that kind of, you know, we, we have multiple examples on, on, on many different guys, but, you know, you can take one guy and say, okay, you know, if your field goal, if your ball speed is between, you know, this speed, let's say 70 and 72 miles an hour and, your spin is between 550 and 600, then, you know, the data shows you you make 90% of your kicks versus when you're outside of those parameters, you only make 75% of your kicks. So that way it tells us, okay, you know, the more we in those numbers, obviously that's where you hit your best balls. And then when you go out, you warm up, you kick, you know, you hit a great ball. Yep. That's what I'm doing. Or you miss one. Uh, no, too much spin. Okay. So you know exactly what it is you're doing. And I think, for kickers, it's really just about building confidence. Not knowing kills your confidence. Knowing gains confidence. And I also do think it improves communication with, with the coaches. And, um, and I do think that's why, you know, the teams who have had it used it so far, I think, you know, I think most kickers love it. I don't, I don't think I've met any kickers or punish yet that said it's... they don't like to have more information. But I think the coaches have really been like, yeah, this is really good stuff because I do think, you know, they look at it like, wow, I, I learned so much more. I know so, so much more about my specialist now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you don't need to know. I think there's a fallacy that like you need to you need to know kicking technique inside and out to be a great coach to kick for or play for. Uh, I mean, some of the best guys you've kicked for or I've kicked for in high school or college, they never they they never kicked a ball in their life. They just knew how to ask good questions. Um, and, and I think the way the way TrackMan will present kickers information to the coaches that are interested. Um, it will help them to see, well, I don't know how to make your ball contact better. I can't give you a drill for that, but I can, I can see when your ball does, when you're hitting the ball at this speed, this is what typically happens. And, um, what, what would you say? So let's, let's dive into that. What are the key metrics? What does track man measure? What does it track and, and why should we care about it? Okay. So there's different, you know, so just look at the, the main measurements we measure is like the the full flight of the ball so like you know how much movement there's in the ball um then we have the launch metrics which is you know ball speed launch angle uh spin rate um, the side projected value which is essentially an aiming point of you know where the ball leaves your foot relative to the uprights how far kick would have been good from uh distance hang time for punch location um launch angle mm-hmm. And so then the question is like, you know, what, what do I do with all that information? Um, because, you know, when you see it first, maybe it can be a little, well, that, that's a lot of information, but I think what would serve most guys the best is just kind of look at a, a few things like, Hey, this is, this is my main points that I focus on. So coming back to that question, I think let's take, take me, for example, I care the most about my speed and my ball height at line of scrimmage. Um, some, we, we, we have other uh, teams and, and clients where I actually think spin rate is the best indicator of success for them making field goals. For me personally, it's been my uh, ball speed and, and, and ball height at line of scrimmage. Because I know if I hit mm-hmm. a ball consistently at a consistent trajectory, I'm more likely to hit best ball that I want. Um, can, you, can you talk to me... Can you talk to the listeners about, so like, I know what all this stuff means, but, yeah. but to, uh, most, so, so talk to me about what, what, <clears throat> what is the significance of, of miles per hour off of ball speed, miles per hour off of your foot? What, what speed opens up what level of play to you? Okay. Yeah, that's a good, so the, the NFL average that we've tracked over the years on Sunday night, Thursday night football is right around like 70 miles an hour. But that's also in-game kicks. And a lot of those kicks have been in tough weather conditions. So I, I, I think, you know, if, if you want to have like an NFL quality kind of leg, you, you definitely have to be able to hit around 70 on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's probably what I'd imagine most power five colleges are looking for in terms of leg strength as well. Obviously, there's many other things that goes into what's a good kicking prospect, but in terms of pure leg strength, that's probably somewhere what you want, where you want to be for, for, for leg strength. And, you know, then some of the tough guys in the league, like Butker and Zerline and Tucker and some of those guys, they can hit over, you know, 75 if they, if they need to. But it's rare that you see guys that really average higher than like 73, 74 miles an hour. Should I try to kick the ball as hard as humanly possible, Simon? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think so. 
I mean, look, every kick is where, different. And where does where does most? I guess uh, I was being facetious. Where, mm-hmm. where like see, we we've talked about this where like you've mm-hmm. tracked NFL guys obviously, and mm-hmm. there's a it's like baseball really. Right? Like, there's a difference between chucking the ball as hard as you can on a radar gun for fun and mm-hmm. you hit like 105 miles an hour, but like your location goes down the drain. Same thing yeah. for kickers and golfers, I would imagine. What's what's the drop off like? So like so you have a kid who could hit a top ball speed of like seventy five miles an hour, but mm. their in game stuff is probably like sixty eight. Their best stuff is like high sixties. Mm. What what it is that like a typical trend of most punters and kickers? You see that there's a drop off from their top speed to like what actually works in a game. Yeah, I have uh, certainly. I think you know it. It's good to be able to have a you know a super high ball speed. You know when you have to hit a super long field goal you know a 60 plus yard or whatever sure. however and this and you know this maybe answers the question of why why is the why is the data important is because you can kind of you know identify what it is what because at the end of the day we just care about the ball going through the uprights and sure. you know then we try to you know identify what leads and what is what numbers is most likely to make the ball go through the uprights. And that's why, right. that's why it's important. So to answer that question with the miles per hour thing is that, you know, most guys, we tracked a lot and pretty much every single NFL kicker on, you know, the, the TV games or just, you know, teams that have track men and stuff like just, you know, guys I know most guys can hit really high ball speeds. And occasionally you're going to hit some really, really good balls off of that that are good from 70 plus yards or whatever in good weather, obviously. But doing that on a consistent basis is is almost impossible. Um, so I think, and, you know, every guy is different. You know, some guys, the, the difference can be higher or lower. But I, I, would, I would think that on average, most guys hit their best ball at a right around 90% of, of their max speed. So, you know, you, I saw you post that on Twitter yesterday and it made me think because the highest ball speed that I've ever hit on field goal is 78 something miles an hour. And my, my, I think, average my, hit, I think speed, my, my ACL would just snap in half. <laughs> well, it, it was a rare one. It was, it was a rare ball. I, you know, there's guys that can hit that more often or not, but you know, I hit that once and, you know, but my best ball fight is around 70 miles an hour. That's where I'm yep. the most consistent. That's where I hit the best ball. And I think, you know, you kind of look across the board of, you know, most kickers. Like I see, occasionally I see, you know, um, I think Matt Gay, he had one in opener this year against Buffalo. It was good from like 68 yards. Uh, it's a 57-yarder. And, you know, Crazy. that ball was like 76-something miles off. That ball is crushed. You know, you, you can't hit a ball any better than that. But, you know, it, it's extremely tough to do that, hit a ball that hard, that good every single time. Sure. Um, so I think for most guys, and that's kind of what I've been, done the studies before, is that, you know, guys might be able to hit 75 miles an hour, but their field goal percentage proves to be the highest when they're between 70 and 72 miles an hour. So that's why when you are kicking, you know, you kind of know, okay, this is like the, the level, this is like my baseline. Hey, if I'm between these numbers here, that's where I'm going to hit my best ball. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, once we get back to 60 plus and we need to, you know, crank through, obviously you want to be able to confirm, okay, now I'm hitting 75 instead mm-hmm. of 72. Sure. Um, so I do think, you know, that that's why it's important because, you know, we, we don't want 
numbers just to have numbers. You know, there's no point of having it if it doesn't tell a story, if it doesn't add value, if it doesn't make you better, or if it doesn't help a coach evaluate. So, you know, it's just about identifying how to utilize this and, you know, how do you take the numbers to become better? And really how you do that is identifying, you know, where is my best ball flight? You know, what do I do? when I'm around that best ball flight, how do those know? And then you can confirm in every practice going forward, okay, am I doing what I need to do? Yeah. So, so yeah, but to, to, to say a question, I would not try to kick the heart as hard <laughs> as I can on, on every single one. No, it's, it's always fun getting, it's always fun getting a middle school <laughs> kicker or like a new kicker that comes over from soccer. And that's inevitably, that's always the first thing they try to do is just hit the thing as hard as they can. Um, there, I get a lot of questions about, um, ball spin rate. Mm. Let's, let's dive into that. What is the, okay. Why, why bother even measuring ball spin rate? Well, does that even matter as long as I make it? Yeah, no, well, nothing matters <laughs> as long as you make it. That's the whole point of that's the beauty of it. And that's, there you and go. That's you just I, yeah. unsold everybody on track, man. There you no, go. Just make I mean, it. that's that's the whole point of actually that is <laughs> yeah. that is actually the selling point is because that, no, we don't care as long as the ball goes through the uprights. <laughs> but we identify what is most likely to make the ball go through the uprights. And right. that's what matters. So, yeah, I've, I definitely had people ask me, well, why, why spin rate? Why does that? matter well i wasn't too sure to begin with either um but i've kind of learned that spin rate is an extremely good indicator of consistent ball contact so to me it's not as much about do you hit a high spinner or a low spinner because you know some guys just have higher spin rates than others it's just natural in the way they kick what's Ooh, important is been- do you have an example of an NFL guy well, well, high I, spin rate I, versus low? Yeah, uh, we, I mentioned Matt Gabe before on that long kick. He he has a little higher spin than, than a lot of other guys. And some guys have a little lower spin. I think the NFL average is around 600 RPMs. Myself, I'm more around 500, so I'm a little lower myself. It's just how I strike the ball. Um, but but then for spin rate, you know, you know, we kind of, you know, learned that it's it's a great indicator of ball contact. So the more consistent your spin rate is, the more consistent your ball contact is. So it's a mm-hmm. great, great way for a coach to identify, hey, you know, who's hitting the most consistent balls is maybe not always, but it definitely could be indicated that it's the guy that hits the most consistent spin rate. Mm-hmm. One of our clients uh, this year, um, they we did an analysis and spin rate proved to be the best indicator of field goal success uh, for that specific kicker. Um, you know, ball speed and, and launch actually was not as important for him. It was just more about hitting the ball the same way uh, and making good contact and, and hitting a consistent spin rate. And when he was between a certain, you know, spin rate, you know, he made a very, very high percentage of his kicks in practice. Um, so for so there's definitely different ways to kind of utilize it. And, you know, there's there's definitely some known terms of like if you're kicking into a strong headwind on kickoffs, a lower spin rate will generate more distance on the kick because there's less um, air resistance in the ball than a ball that's spinning super fast. So, you know, there's definitely different ways to kind of utilize it for that. You know, if you want to hit for a touchback, hitting a lower spin rate in most cases is probably going to be better. 
not in all cases, but you know, it's probably just a good rule of thumb to kind of know, hey, if we need a, a 75 yard three seven hang time, you know, the combination of this spin, this speed, and this launch angle will generate that versus when we need a pop up to the five yard line with a four three hang time, okay, it's better to hit this launch with this spin because the ball is going to hang up in the air longer. Um, so there's different kind of ways to utilize, you know, you know, those metrics for, but again, it comes down to, you know, we don't really care as long as the ball goes through an uprise. We just try to help identify what makes the ball go through an uprise. And that's mm-hmm. what you can use the data for. Got it. What, what's your, I mean, since we're on that, you know, I, I, a lot of questions I get, um, from high school coaches and, um, you know, players, is like how how do I how do I hit a farther kickoff? How do I hit a farther field goal? Because in the a little bit more in my world, it's like you, it's almost two different sports. Like there's kicking in a game, which is just make the thing, and then there's kicking for recruiting purposes, which inevitably comes down to who hits the biggest ball possible when a coach is watching. Yeah. I'm not saying that's right or wrong; it just kind of is what it is. What's your advice? how would you lower that spin rate on a kickoff or a field goal? Is there, are there like one or two specific cues that you find are helpful for yourself or others? Yeah. So, so that's, and that, that's a good point because this is kind of where the whole coaching point comes in is that, you know, um, it's, you know, Trackman, you know, shows all the numbers and stuff. Um, but for, but it's great to have a coach or better to have a coach or a player that knows, you know, how do I, adjust that how do I make those adjustments you know for myself I've I've kicked on it so long and I know you know kind of what it is I need to do different when I see different stuff and I do think you know the more players uh you there sorry yeah I'm here okay and I think you know the more the the more like you know kind of used to kind of you start working on it the more kind of you start identifying hey what it is it what is it that I do that leads to this what is, what versus what is it that I do that leads to that? Um, but, you know, for, you know, it can be different from coach to coach, kind of how you teach things. You know, for me, if I want to lower my spin rate on a kickoff, um, I purposely try to plant a little further back. So I hit the ball a little later on my swing. And now, because that way I'm going to make ball contact a little higher up on the ball. Um, so I'm hitting a little more fatter piece of the ball and I'll tend to lower the spin a little more versus kind of undercutting it. Um, or I will maybe try to change the position of my foot just a little bit, um, to kind of make it, it's a little hard to explain, but trying to make it a little more flat to some extent. I don't know if that makes sense, but in my head it does at least. Well, but that's the, that's the fun part though. Like there's like the, there's the numbers, right. And then there's, there's like, okay, we have to move. We have to find three more yards. Yeah. Okay, but like everybody's coaching cue to to do that is going to be very different. Like, yeah. like you said, you you slow your ball like to hit a lower tra- low, well lower trajectory ball with a slower spin rate. You move your plant foot back. Some guys mm-hmm. move their plant foot back if they want to hit a higher spin ball with more height. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. everybody everybody's cue is very different. But that I mean that's that's kind of the cool part about the the track man and coaching in general is you're trying to you're trying to figure out like you're, you're trying to help people understand what their own cues are, you know? Cause like, what's more important is like, how does your kick look inside your head? Not like my head as the coach. Yeah. I'm not kicking it. 
and nobody's going to feel your swing for you. Um, no, exactly. What, um, I want to be respectful of your time. I've been at it for about an hour. Um, just two more quick questions. Um, yeah. What, what do you think everybody gets wrong about data analytics and sports? I don't think people get that much wrong about it. I think, I think data is pretty well welcome for the most part, you know, in golf and baseball, obviously it's ahead of what it is in football, but I, I don't, I don't think, I think it's very rare that I get pushback on, mm -hmm. on track myself. I do think, I think, I think most players and most coaches know that, you know, when they have information about themselves that they can utilize to learn more about them and can utilize how to make them better, they are going to want to have that kind of information. I think, you know, the only thing, you know, the only thing that some people might have against analytics is like, oh, I don't want to overanalyze. I don't want to, you know, have, but I, I don't really see the argument for that because, I mean, you also watch film, right? Okay. Sure. Well, when you analyze, when you watch film, now you just have something that helps tell what the film shows you. Um, sure. So I, I don't really see that, you know, that's, you know, some people may, but, you know, like I said, we just take the, the golf world from there. There's not one golfer that's going to, you know, say that, you know, oh, I, I can't look at that because it'll, I mean, it's, most guys will understand that it's more about just the ability to, to confirm what it is you're doing. I'm not out there when I'm back in my stance thinking about numbers by any means whatsoever. I'm just, I, I kick, I feel I have my swing thoughts, I kick, and then I go look and then I confirm what it is I'm doing. And that helps me build confidence in knowing what it is I'm doing. And I think, you know, for most guys, it's gonna, it's really gonna help them become a lot better. I mean, shoot, I didn't have no NFL workouts whatsoever after I came out of college. Um, but I feel like I've improved so much the last couple of years that, you know, now I've actually for the first time actually got some NFL looks. Um, and also I know more, you know, teams now through the works, so I'm more likely to be in those circles, but I, uh, you know, I think I, I'd be very surprised if, if most guys that really buy into, you know, the, the new wave of kind of understanding um, and just taking practice to the next level. I'd be very surprised if those are not going to be the best kickers in the next 10 years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, um, and if anything, it, the, it's just nice to know. I think if anything, having the, the system out there can, you know, it actually frees you up to kind of stop thinking in, in mm -hmm. some regard. I mean, there, oh, yeah. you know, everybody has, there's always different personality types for kickers. Mm -hmm. There are guys that are very, sure. their default setting is a, you know, a lot more analytical than other guys might be. Um, and for those guys, you need to, like I, I find when I have players that are more analytical, I, I tell them like, all right, this is the one metric we're looking to move the needle on today. You're not, not, we're not worried about ball speed. We're not worried about spin rate. We want to make sure that when the ball takes off from your foot, it is dead center on the uprights. And yep. we'll just hang out from 30 yards all day. The trackman mm -hmm. will tell you how good it's going to be from anyway. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny, like you could almost invert the, like in the recruiting world, ball speed 
um, distance good from height line of scrimmage. Like that's the order of importance, but in game it's, it's ball direction. It's your launch direction. It's so did you kick it straight? The second thing is going to be height. And then the last thing is going to be like, okay, how far is it good from? Cause most coaches are always going to lop something off the top of your leg. Mm. Like if your max ball is 50 yards as a high school kid, your, your high school coach is probably not trying you from anything outside of 40. Yeah. And that's the same thing in the NFL. Like, okay, you have Justin Tucker who brings the average way up with a 66 mm. yarder. But if yeah. you take that out, I think like the average NFL field goal is still like 37 yards. It's not. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. It's not in colleges like 34, high schools 20, at least in Connecticut last year is 22 yards. So oh, wow. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, it's a little different up here in the North. <laughs> but um, anyway, I got off on a tangent there. So, um, okay. What's uh, like, what's one parting piece of advice you would have to uh, a player who's trying to develop and, and, and train uh, and then have people want to connect with you on track, man, whether as a player or as a coach looking to check a system out, how could they do that? So one piece of advice and then how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, let's start with the advice, uh, advice first. I think um, my best piece of advice for a young kicker or punter or whatever, I think it's just to uh, train with intention. It's like, you know, because I – I see, I feel like some guys or it happens where you guys go out and just warm up and just hit balls and then all of a sudden they're done. I yeah. think it's good to have an intention with the practice of like, okay, what am I specifically working on today? Or, you know, what, you know, how do I, how do I make the, you know, I learned this from Morton Anderson. Um, Another Danish good friend guy. of mine. Exactly. It's a good friend of mine. There's and, how many of them? Know, There's like four of you guys, right? Uh, that's a couple. That's a couple. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the most important things I learned from him was just the fact that, you know, he told me, you know, make practice like a game every single time. And obviously it's not possible to make it 100% the same by any means. But the more you can kind of set yourself in that game mode when you're out there in practice, I think the less intimidating kicking in a game will feel like. Um, so I do think, you know, as, as a young player, just to kind of do that, I think, I think it's the biggest thing. And then obviously it's going to sound, you know, cliche, obviously, but, you know, put in a lot of work outside the field too, uh, in terms of like being in the weight room and, you know, running and, you know, just being the best shape as you can be. Cause like you said, you know, at a lot of colleges, you know, the best way to kind of stand out is by hitting a big ball. Um, so you, you need to have that leg strength to kind of, you know, play at, play at that high level. Um, but you know, at the same time, stay consistent and hit that consistent ball and, and make kicks because at the end of the day, you know, it's about once you're in the league or in, in the college, the guys who makes the most field goals, the guys are going to stay the longest. Um, so I do think, you know, it, it's a combination of both things and, and I get why coaches value, you know, the big leg at, you know, college camps and stuff like that. Um, cause it is important, but, um, but making kicks in, um, is, is what keeps you on the field. And that's like, once again, comes back to that's why you have to practice with intention and try to make practice as much game like as possible. Um, and then the second part, you know, how do you come in contact with me? Uh, just reach out uh on twitter or instagram or um hit me up on my email it's sma at trackman.com 
Um, I'll be more than happy to talk to anyone that's interested in TrackMan. You know, we I'm, I'm on the road quite a bit, showing off TrackMan to different colleges and NFL and coaches. But uh, if you want to reach out, I'll be more than happy to talk and, and give you a showdown of what TrackMan May can do for you. You've been listening to the Coach Cahill Show. Thanks so much for stopping by. And remember, if you love this show, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. It really helps us spread the word. Thanks so much.